Yeah. I'm drinking yeah, something man. too. Place hot. <laughs> All right, we got some more confirmation on on our side. Vibe. So let me get started, Casey. You ready? Mm -hmm. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So let's let's you know let's back up just a little bit. How are you dealing with the global pandemic that's been going on so far? Um, it's uh, it's been interesting. Initially, it was fine. Everything was everything was running as normal. People were still doing a lot of work and music, and then all of a sudden, it slowed down. I think a lot of artists start to get confused about what they should really do. And people started to, because, I guess because it started to stretch for so long and everybody thought it was just a three months, then people started to like watch the dollars and like, uh, I don't know if I could spend on that right now, no? Because it kind of right. it it beat everybody's expectations. But it's been all right. It's, it's slowly getting back there. I think everybody in the industry is still kind of wary and, and, and mindful about where it's going. But work's still happening. Um, I just mixed a gospel project last night. So, so it, it's still it's still going on. All right, I mean, so yeah, I, I I locked down in more or less locked down in Los Angeles now, trying to stay home because the cases on this side rising. But wow, is is one of those things where, and and this is just my opinion, is one of those things where is, you can't really live in fear and 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 be locked up and frightened, but still be mindful and diligent and wear a mask and not go lime and go a party because I see people had party and day party and all kind of thing going on up here like these people wilding so <laughs> don't go wilding but I mean if, you, if yeah you can't you can't be lock up all because that could mess with your mental state as well so just one of those things there right and you know I I agree with that I think that people need to take as much precaution as possible so I'm glad to hear that you're at least keeping busy during the whole pandemic and not yeah. you know just sitting around doing nothing or losing your mind. So to no, speak. no, no, definitely. I, I'm actually in the process of building a new recording studio in, in LA, which has been driving me crazy because, you know, with all the delays with everything, it's, 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 yeah, it's a task. It's so you just have to practice patience and just allow it its time to, yeah. So um, that's what's keeping me busy right now, more than the music stuff. But um, yeah, um, everything is fine for now. Nice. All right, so good to hear. So for those of all you locked in right now, we're talking to Casey Phillips out of Precision Productions. And, you know, Casey, for those that may be new to Soka or the hardcore Soka fans, just tell mm. us, who is Casey Phillips and what is Precision Productions for those that may not know? Wow, it's a hard question. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? I actually have, I have text with this enough because I just answered that for something. Yeah. You're, um, gonna, you're gonna give me copy yeah, and paste answer. I'm gonna give me the political answer, then I will I will spin off. Precision uh, Productions slash Precision Global Music is a music production company. Um essentially we produce music, we've been doing it throughout the carnival seasons. Uh for the last eight carnival seasons, the company has produced multiple songs for each season, creating full albums of music, um, rhythms, most of the rhythms you know, singles for all of the top soca artists. Uh, we also has grown into producing jingles and ads for multiple ad agencies, both in Trinidad and across the region, Caribbean region. And yeah, that's Casey Phillips now. I am the head producer, sound engineer for Precision. And Precision was originally based in Trinidad. I mean, we still based them and now we expand into Los Angeles. Nice. To kind of broaden the horizon and expand the reach and the market. 
All right. So for those that may be living under a rock, what uh, songs are Precision Productions responsible for? Well, I just heard you playing Fog, Fog by Marshall Montano. We have um, Cohen Duba, Bacchanalis, the whole Antilles rhythm, um, Bottle of Rum, Marshall. Uh, where to go, where to go? We have Mr. Fett, Marshall. More recently, Patrice Roberts, Into You. More recently, Pretty Abad, which is on the Year Bad rhythm. Um, on the gospel side, we have things like Positive, um, Mighty Healer, Blessing After Blessing, all the way back to Heights of Heights, a lot of Nathaniel stuff, a lot of Rising stuff. Um, that's for, for those in the gospel arena. So that's just a few. Including one of my favorites as well, you know, um, Fast Wine. Yes, Fast Wine, which was a collaboration with um, Jelani of Page. Pops, aka Pops. Pops. <laughs> yeah. Larger pops, whoever he is, anyway, my brother. All right, so you know, you've been responsible for a lot of hits throughout the years. How exactly did you get into production? I got into production because of my parents. Um, originally, my dad produced Calypso and Soka back in the day, what was Soka back in the day, and essentially, I was born into the studio, essentially, and I started crawling into the studio looking on from my small age hiding in the corner just watching what's going on and as i got older I started to experiment and try my own thing and um started to destroy things in the studio <laughs> mash up equipment and had to call my dad to be like yo can you fix this i don't know what i just do and um from doing that and learning the ways to fix it i started to learn the workings of the studio all the signal parts and fixing the little gear and that kind of teach me troubleshooting in the studio environment and then started to branch into production. And by the age of 10, 11, I think I did my first official song that was released. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I got my start kind of from my dad. But then I guess as, as time went on and, and I evolved into a producer, Along that journey is where I guess I had to make the decision to create precision to now create a brand. And this is where we are right now. Um, there, there was a point where I had to make the decision because I could have been Casey Phillips, the producer forever. But then I had to say, you know what, I need to take this as more than a, a hobby and a kicks thing and make this into a brand. All right. And look how far the journey has, has led you. <laughs> exactly. And more to go. So, you know, you mentioned your dad and, you know, kind of growing up into the, the music industry, right? Mm -hmm. It's in your family and in some ways it's in your blood, right? So would, <laughs> right. So would you say that your, your dad kind of gave you the stepping stone into the industry? Of course, um, because I guess I, I had hands-on practical knowledge from the start. So I have, there was a studio in my house, so that, that, that was there to my advantage. So I learned hands-on in, in, in the mix, seeing sessions from an early age, even running sessions. So yeah, that, that, was, that was a huge stepping stone for me. Nice. So that's, that's really good to kind of have that support and that guidance as well. Right. So we also know in your journey, your brother, um, Kyle, is also a producer. 
who right. is now Bajan Republic. And for those of mm-hmm. you guys that's locked in in the chat, Bajan Republic produced the Road March title of Trinidad and Tobago this year, which is Stage Gone Bad, Iowa and Kess. Right. So we know that you have your brother Kyle, and I think prior, you've also worked with um, Nikolai Green out of yeah. NMG Music. How did that, um, that whole team come about? Uh, originally, it was Nikolai and myself for Precision, and then eventually Nikolai branched off into his own lane and formed NMG. Um, similar to Kyle, Kyle started dabbling with music. I don't want to say under Precision, but, but I mean, that's my brother, right. so he was in the same studio. And then eventually he also branched off to his own um, brand and identity, which is Badge and Republic. Uh, I mean, Stage Gone Bad and Waiting on the Stage as well, what, what they did were collaborations with Precision. So it was always this team effort, I would say. Um, I, I'm, not too, I'm not too sure exactly what you're asking in terms of when you say how it came about. Um, in terms of did you start with them? But I think you answered it already. You started oh, okay, okay, you okay. and Nikolai together. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That said, is there anyone else on the Precision Productions team that we may have not seen? Yes. Uh, a huge part and an important part of Precision is Misty, which Misty handles all the business management stuff behind the scenes. Uh, I used to be the behind-the-scenes guy. Both of us used to be the behind-the-scenes guy, but as the brand started evolving, they kind of forced me to now come to the forefront and teach and talk and take pictures and this, which I hated at first. <laughs> but now uh, it's kind of something that I have to grow into to push the, the brand more. Um, I see my sister in the chat, Karis. I mean, Karis is an affiliate by, by, by force. Um, Karis will do backgrounds and songwriting etc but miss yeah i think it just misty uh we have cat who handles the social media i'm sure you all have seen cat face here then every every now and again on instagram cat handles the social media and also the project management for audio essentials whenever we travel to the destinations um everyone else uh i guess is extended team we have graphic artists video we have legal um accounting but the court that's a core team everybody else and no disrespect to anybody else it's just extended <laughs> teams all right so for those of you all they're locked in precision productions has a full team so everything that you see is not just casey alone but casey with the management not. of <laughs> several other people so I want to congratulate you as well uh, for winning the, the EY Emerging Entrepreneur Award of the Year last year. Right. Thank you. What was that process and experience like as a creative? It was definitely uh, intimidating at first because I never thought that, well, firstly, yeah, I never thought that I would be a good enough or, or the company or the brand would be a good enough candidate to, to apply for something like this because we always, I guess we always at a disadvantage as a creative to be classified as an entrepreneur. So, um, really? yeah, so over the years, just from like, different experiences with the bank and, and financial institutions, we never would have gotten the support that uh, a different type of business may get, a restaurant or a uh, 
car dealership, just 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 as an example. So going to it, I was kind of like, mm, I mean, I'm trying this, but I don't know. But you know what? We taking it. I put my best foot forward, and um, it was a very it was a tedious um, process. They kind of needed to to they kind of asked a lot of stuff uh, in terms of the the history, the the the, the back history of the company, where it started, where it went to, what, what did we innovate, what was, I guess, they, they asked everything, it literally tear it apart, which was hard, because you now have to sit down and write all these things and go back in years and show proof of all, all these different things. Right. So, it was crazy. Uh, even when I got through the first round of judging, I was like, oh, I guess, I guess something making sense. <laughs> and then when it came to the accounting side, no. That was crazy as well because they needed specific numbers and specific accounts, so it was challenging. But but um, but yeah, it it, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, and as a creative too, I think that's that's very commendable. As you said, a lot of people don't see creatives as entrepreneurs, although yeah. technically we feel a need for for anything, and that's kind of what entrepreneurs do, in a sense. Right. Exactly, but I mean, I guess it's just one of the things in the in the, I don't want to say in our culture, but but more so in Trinidad, the creatives don't get the respect like that. So it was, it was great and also humbling to win something like that. So now you could kind of prove to other creatives, a, this is possible. What we what we doing making sense? So now parents could trust and 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 push their children in that in that lane and be like, okay, go be a dancer, go be a singer, go be an artist, go be a producer. Um, before there was no, it didn't have a lot of examples, successful examples from an entrepreneurial POV to be like, hey, go do this because I see XYZ, ABC. Right. And you know, I'm glad that you brought that um, oh. Before you go there, one thing I just remember, I forgot to mention Ashwin in the team. Right. So um, I see your, your connection spinning there. That's me or that's you? I'm seeing that from you as well. I think we're back there. Yes. Uh, Ashwin was a part of Precision as well on the journey, probably before, mm, I, I don't know the timeline, but yeah, I must shout out to Ashwin. Ashwin came and trained with us and was a part of Precision. I don't want to call here because I really don't remember. But now right. Ashwin, is, Ashwin has branched off into his his full brand as well, which is Smash Music, and he's doing full animation, music, everything in London. So I, I, I just remembered that. All right, no scene. Definitely pick up Ashwin wherever you are in the world as well. Mm -hmm. So just to rewind a little bit, I'm glad that you brought up the whole element of, you know, being an entrepreneur in the creative space and the challenges that come with it. Um, I know you were born into a musical family, so in some ways, you were kind of encouraged to pursue your passion. But what advice would you have for creatives that weren't as fortunate as you to take that route? Hmm. <laughs> what? I know, it's a tough uh, this one. Is, so hold and on. This, this, is, this is based on the uh, entrepreneurial part or just the music part? Because it have, it have two things. It have, would... it, it's two different answers I could give. I would say for the music part, because you brought up a lot of things in the entertainment, like being yeah. a producer or a singer or a dancer. So let me say in that, in that regard. On the music part, I will always 
say master craft. That that's that's the first thing I always say in all these interviews. I say master craft. So like yourself, you're a DJ. Let's say I wanted to be a DJ, I could buy turntables turn or or mix serato mixers and pretend to be a DJ, but what really differentiates me from any other DJ? Do I have any qualifications? Do I have any certifications that say I am a DJ? Did I learn the, the, the theory of it? So I always say master craft. If you're a graphic artist, get certified in Photoshop. If you're a DJ, get, get a certification from Serato, if, if, if there's one. I don't know if there's one, but I'm just throwing out examples. Right. Um, for producers, you could there's hundreds of courses online you could do. Um, I'm not saying go to school and do a year-long degree. That would be great if you can. <laughs> right. um, now with now with COVID, I don't know, but um, but yeah, just just master craft in whatever way. Learn an instrument, do music theory. If you're a singer, a, a session musician, a producer, music theory is something that lacking a lot in our game. So um, that's my that's my advice on the, on the music side. All right, and I think that's that's pretty fair. Everybody who's in that space should learn to master their craft. Yes. All right. So I just want to pick up a couple people in the chat. I see that we have David in the chat. We have a lot of the crew from Trinidad and Tobago, large of my South team, my Central team as well. We have Kristen out of Florida. So, large up everyone. I see someone here asking, when are we getting Precision Productions merch? Merch is live right now. Go on the website, merch is there. All right, so. Actually, yeah. have on one of the t-shirts right now. Yeah, merch is yeah. live. <laughs> Look at that. All right, so. You know, we, so you started Precision Productions. You've been in it for a while. You have numerous awards and a couple of titles what would you say is the most challenging part of owning the production company hmm <laughs> see that they have multiple answers as well <laughs> uh let me give you two answers firstly i would say and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about being an entrepreneur there i think growing up we don't have a lot of not only examples, but you don't have a lot of text and, and theory that we learn about running a business. So mm. when you get into the space now, little things like, and you might laugh at it, but little things like credit cards and interests and registering a company and bylaws and business plan and taxes and opening accounts, like everything is foreign, especially as a creative, because we don't want to do those things. So we don't learn those. Yeah, we learn accounts in school, which is crunching numbers, but we don't really learn the nitty gritties of, of you should get a credit card and open this account for a company because you need to move this here and use your credit card to pay for this and make sure that you're this and you're this and your taxes, get an accountant, which expense could be written off as a business expense versus not a business expense. Like little things like that, right. all these things I had to figure out along the way so that that is a challenge just just running a company is a challenge also to also to all the um all the different taxes that you have to pay personal taxes company taxes you have to make sure you're registered with 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 the different boards um just nis all these different things like you know you there's no one source if you go to to learn all these things <laughs> so it's kind of like you see it through any deep end and you just swim <laughs> and figure it out <laughs> right. 
So, and you know, it's really interesting that there isn't enough resources for a lot of entrepreneurs or people that want to be in business because there's so many of us out there, but yeah. not many of us know where to go. Yeah. So I'm seeing here we have a couple questions. Right. So moving into the creative space, and I see a question here from Darian, and I'm going to read it out. What are some of the challenges you face as a creative during the carnival period? That's an interesting mm. one. Actually, well, perfect. He gave me the second answer that I was going to say. So, ah. so, so you asked two you asked the challenges, and I had two challenges. So that's the business side. On the right. creative side, I think with carnival, it's always a challenge to stay fresh every year. Uh, we are forced to innovate and be fresh every like three years. Uh, I think us at Precision, we try to do it every year because you don't want to sound the same every year. You want to kind of bring something to the table. What, what can we do this year that's different? So that's a challenge. I mean, Carnival, Carnival is a different beast. So when that time comes, it's crazy. But, but what, what people don't do realize is that in Carnival, we're not working. Before Carnival is where all the work happens. So from right. mid June all the way down to December is crunch time for us. So when people start to fet, we actually now getting our lease up. Uh, so that is why sometimes as a producer, people are like, hey, we ain't seen you nowhere. I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. I really <laughs> sleep. I've been clocking hours. So uh that, that's that's one of the challenges it's just it's just it, it becomes so condensed in a short time frame there's a lot of work to do uh so we try to pre-prep as much as we could but it's only so much prep you could prep right uh so i i guess yeah that is that is one of the challenges but yeah the innovation is 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 a challenge because you want to stay fresh but you also don't want to lose the sound you still want to sound authentic but then you have to analyze the trends that are going on and be like, okay, in the game, trap running things right now. So do I want to still sound like Suka from 2000 or should I start to sound like a little pop or when EDM was running things? So it's, it's just these decisions you have to make. So like right now, dance all hot. So it's like, should Suka still stay like that or should we now... So that's, that's the kind of decisions we have to make behind the scenes because you don't want a song stale. You don't want a song outdated. Right. And yeah, I think soca music is a genre that has gone through a lot of reinvention over the years based on mm -hmm. what's been going on in society and a lot of the trends that's been going on in industries outside of soca music. Right, right. So to that point, you know, into the creative process, what is, you know, the process behind creating a rhythm or a project for, just for starters, for the carnival season? A single or a rhythm? Let me start with the rhythm first. I think a lot of mm. fans here love the Osaka rhythm. They love the Antilles rhythm. So let me, let me go on the rhythm first. So rhythms i think rhythms rhythms is a beast by itself so with rhythms any and any beat can't work as a rhythm uh mm. the rhythm has to have something special about it some kind of signature that when this come on it grab people 
It can't right. just be no regular basic beat. Um, so we try to make the rhythm be able to stand on its own, right? And then with that now, also to the next piece of the science is getting songs on this rhythm that all work together, right? Ah. So if there's three, four, five songs on a rhythm, you don't want you don't want the three songs or the topic on the three songs to be a jump and wave song or a whining song. You kind of want difference. One social commentary, one whining song, one girl's tune, whatever. You just want it to be different so that now they can work together. And, and, and this one might start as a big one, then later down the road, this one might start, start to grow. So you try to make everybody get their own space on the rhythm. Um, that's, that's a huge part of, of rhythms because otherwise you're just wasting space on a rhythm if everybody's singing the same topic. Correct. There's nothing special about it. So that's kind of the that's kind of the, the the thinking behind rhythms. And you know, as a follow up, how would you or how would the team determine which artists go on a particular rhythm? <laughs> Hot topic, boy. Yeah, boy. Well, so how to answer this? So with rhythms getting more popular and rhythms being basically rhythms flood flood the market now your cast is very important so back in the day we would have been able to get away with one big artist and four new artists and these days from the time you see your rhythm and the, the, yourself i'm sure you could confirm this as a dj oh. you'd be like oh they have a new they have a new rhythm all right who won it um, i don't know none of these people in a... i'll check that later <laughs> But if I send a rhythm with big hitters, like, oh, okay, all right, let me hear this. I need to hear this now. So that's a, that's a huge part of rhythms now. And I get, I get questions every day, every week about what our artists wanting to go on rhythms. And I have to break this down to them all the time. Like, I can't put three, four hundred percent new artists on a rhythm because it will never play. I would love to. I would love to, um, but it all it always needs that strong artist or that strong cast to carry the rhythm. Um, yeah, exactly, Royal. It is hard for yeah, an artist, but but that's just the reality. Because I've done it with rhythms. I'm sure it have rhythms I could call that people will never even know, like rhythms like ignition. Um, you probably don't even know that rhythm that that had at that time was smaller artists. Yes, we had a Destra. But it still wasn't enough to make it, to, to carry it all the way. And we burn a lot over the times with that, which is, I mean, now the formula works where I might just put one new artist. So like we had LFS on Osaka, which was great. So they, they get a bubble in between the voice and the Kerwin and the whatever, because their song started to grow as well. And that formula has started to work. It doesn't always work, right. but um, it, it, it works now. I still try. As hard as it is, I still try and, you know, we did see that again this year with uh, your bad rhythm, Imani Ray, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, even, it, even it 10 times over, still, still had big names and then some, some smaller cast names to go with it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. shout out to Imani, Imani. Imani executed the song great. Uh, that was also done on purpose because we need more females in the game. So that was kind of like... I, I, I liked her vibe, her, her, her energy, her stage presence, everything. I was like, you know what? Let me try this. But it was a risk. I didn't right. know how Trinidad was going to accept somebody, a, a different female that nobody know about. So, so yeah. <laughs> and so lots of Imani, 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 Imani,
but yes, definitely, I do think the industry needs more women, and I, the approach is good. And I'll tell you a little, a quick story. Mm-hmm. Part of how I found out about Pretty was because of the the Sonora Adam. Because again, right. to your point, all the big names, and then Pretty comes and destroys mm-hmm. the Adam, mm-hmm. and from there we've seen his. That was that is what started his career. Same thing happened with uh, Ufran on Antilles. Ufran wasn't supposed to be on Antilles. <laughs> that was for Patrice. And it just, the key didn't work. And we try, we try all how. And um, we just, I say, boy, Ufran, we down to the wire, let we go. We sing it. <laughs> I think that was the demo vocals, actually. That was, that was just the, the vocals for the song to present. And um, look at that. That started his career. Definitely, and things has, have changed since then. So mm-hmm. I'm looking here in the chat, um, in the question box particularly. I see a question here from Hook Goddess. She's asking, how long does it take you to create a beat? Mm. Uh, I work pretty quick, so I could finish a beat in 30 to 40 minutes. Just a shell, a quick shell enough. But when we start to get to the recording and the editing and the mixing and stuff, that is where the, the time starts to clock. So to record vocals might be two to three hours based on the song, how complex it is, and then the mixing process could go on for days, just reviewing, wrestling, taking a break from it, coming back to it, <laughs> uh, spending a few more hours in it, listening it somewhere else in the car, comparing it to other songs, and then you'll be like, mm, nah, my bass not hitting hard enough, so you go back in it again. That's that's a whole different beast. But um, but yeah, to actually build the beat, I would say thirty to forty minutes. Um, if it's a complex beat, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And that's that's actually pretty impressive. You know, I've a lot of producers that came on said that they actually take a a good amount of time to create. You know, their end product. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's it's everybody processes different. It's different. I've, I've, I've seen some of the hip hop guys do live streams and they take whole day on one beat. Will they? But that's just their process, and and it comes out great. Um, yeah. All right. So I see another question here because it looks like we have a lot of DJs and a lot of aspiring producers in the chat that might be interested in production but don't know how to go about it. So DJ Smarties asks, "What are some of the key production tools that's been helpful for you?" Hmm. Um, I started on Logic. I started producing on Logic. I've moved over to Ableton now. I produce in Ableton. And I, but I still record and mix in Logic. Um, that's my tool of choice to, for the final step. I, I know Logic inside out. Ableton to build because I just like the vibe that Ableton gives me. It's, it's a little more, it's, it's a completely different approach to Logic when you're producing and, and it, it has a different, it has a different sound, it has a different approach, different effects. I could get technical, so I'm gonna open that 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 kind of wounds. But um so Ableton, Logic. I used to use machine a little bit. I haven't used that in years. It's here collecting dust somewhere. <laughs> um speakers or headphones, I see Adam say ears. Ears are very important. Um because if you don't know what you're listening for, your ears not trained for it, you'll be going crazy. Uh, on that note, I recently discovered a tool called Sound Gym. I think it's Sound Gym, where they actually set out training for you uh, to do every day. 
to train your ears for frequencies, to train your ears for mixing, train your ears for these little minute technical changes that you might do. You might raise something by 2 dB, but can you even hear that when you do it? Because some guys is always telling me that. I compress something, but I don't know what they're really doing. And it's just, it's just training your ears for that. Um, so yeah, I, I, all the guys who want to get into production, check out Sound Gym. I mean, there's others, but Sound Gym really, really cool because they make it into like this game. And, and they score you based on points and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's some of the tools, I would say. Nice. So, I see we have a lot of... Um, yeah, boy, questions. Yeah, a lot in. of feedback in the chat. You want to continue with your questions and get back to that? Yeah, of course. So, yeah. a lot of people, they kind of ask some of the questions that I wanted to ask. Right. But, so, you know, we're in the creative process. And you're finally, you're mix and master, you're ready to release... Mm-hmm. Now, we all know we discover music through different platforms and different forms of media. How important is streaming for you in the digital age of music? Streaming, I think, has moved into being the number one source of discovery right now. Um, all the algorithms, Spotify, Apple Music, etc., it's, it's super important, at least for the producers who own the songs to make money. Also, the artists as well to be discovered. So there's artists such like Pink Sweats, who's our R&B artist, who just discovered straight from streaming. Um, I don't think he had a deal at that point. So sh- streaming and these playlists, like all these um, rap caviar, etc., they are huge now for discovery of artists and music. Before, back in the day, it would have been radio stations and DJs. Now it kind of, that kind of flip up now. Right. So in the streaming game, we Mm. mentioned something really important and it's owning your own music. Mm -hmm. Just to scratch the surface just a little bit. Right. What does revenue look like for, for artists and producers in the streaming realm? You don't have to call your number specifically, but a ballpark figure. That that hard to say because everybody everybody revenue different and it's all based on on numbers. Let me let me do let me give you the safe answer, right? I go into a streaming royalty calculator, right? So YouTube a million views on YouTube could roughly bring in seven seventeen fifty, fifteen hundred US, right? Now you have to keep in mind there's commissions, there's little charges that would happen depending on which distributor you're with. Not everybody gets the same rate. A million streams on Spotify is 4,000 US. Um, a million streams on Apple Music is 5,000 US. So all the, all the different platforms pay differently. Um, is uh, Trinidad is not per month. This is just per stream. This is how they calculate. So it's one stream is literally cents, cents of a dollar. But when it reaches to the millions and, the, and et cetera, then it starts to add up. Um, and then uh, the more people stream and listen all the time, the better. So that's why, as I mentioned before, playlisting is so serious, so, so serious and so strong because imagine a playlist like Rap Caviar, just as an example. Um, Rap, Rap Caviar on Spotify have millions of subscribers. So if you have millions of subscribers listening to this playlist daily, if my song gain there, then my number's going to jump immediately, just by default. 
Whereas if you if you just put the song up and you don't market and nobody don't know the song there, you're gonna get zero plays. Because <laughs> I've I've been getting that question a lot, and some artists I realize some artists just think when they put a song on iTunes, it's gonna magically play. Just <laughs> <laughs> it don't work. So yeah, you have to market it, you have to push it. But that's that's kind of some of the ballpark figures. Um, obviously with Carnival, if you have a major rhythm, the streaming gonna increase because. The radio pushing it. People know it's carnival time. They're gonna start to tune into the song, and it's it's gonna grow because of the season. No, there's no Spotify in Trinidad as yet. We have Apple Music, Audio Mac. I don't even know if we have Tidal Home yet. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah. So that's that's a that's a politically correct answer to your question. Gotcha. And I see a lot of people are noting that um in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so Apple Music is available in Trinidad and Tobago uh, to answer your question. Somebody said no title, okay. And no title as well. So moving on inside the hot topic, you mentioned something that's really, really important. And I know that um, offline we've had discussions about this. Right. It's artists owning their masters. And there are a lot of people in the chat too that may not necessarily be in the music industry they might not know what that means so i guess first off just explain what that means for those that may not know so owning your master master is the term we use for a song so owning a master really means owning that song owning that physical version of the song it's getting a little tricky and i try not to make it too complicated so If I produce a song and Jell pays me my fee for the song, then Jell owns the song because we sign a contract. If Jell doesn't pay me and I'd be like, yo, I'll do this to you, don't worry about a payment, then I own the song, right? Um, that's basically, that's the, that's the easiest way to explain. Now, the person who owns the song is who has the administrative right to put it up on iTunes and all these platforms, which is a very, a very huge thing to note. So if Jell didn't pay me, he can't take the song and put it on iTunes. I am the one that has to put it on iTunes. It will still say Jell singing whatever the name of the song is, but I am the owner. You understand? Understood. So, and I see a lot of people here, they're in a little, little shock, a little amazement. <laughs> so that's important. Very good. Very. So in that case... How much does it cost to create a song? Again, ballpark figure does not yeah. have to be case. Yeah, everybody, well, yeah. different producers have different prices. I've seen some of the newer producers will start from 500 US and to some of the bigger producers being as much as 5,000 US. Mm. I think nowadays you could ballpark, get a song, produce average 1,000 to 2,000 US, maybe. Um, if it's a newer producer, might be might be able to get it for less. That's just that's just a, a super ballpark figure. Yeah, Kristen, that that <laughs> is it is all over the place. But it's what, good what, to have that comparison. Go ahead, Casey. What you have to also take into consideration is is this price including the other things like mixing and mastering, or um, sometimes a producer will only charge you to produce. You now have to take these files and mix it and master somewhere else. So. That's what I say. It's a, it's a hard average to give you. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, yeah, that's, that's just a, a ballpark figure. 
Gotcha. My man said Janu, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being in music is not cheap out there. Um, Casey can tell you, if you locked into our previous interviews, Captain John also gave a, a figure as well. So, No, serious. It's, it's expensive. It's an investment for sure. So what's your whole take on the producers owning the masters versus the artists owning the masters? Mm, the hot topic, boy. Yeah, boy. <laughs> um, all right, let me, let, me, let me be real and break this song as, as easy as I could. I have no issue with neither. Um, some, pro- pro- some projects are done with the intention of the producer owning it. Some projects are done with the intention of the artist owning it. So if you came to me and said, Casey, I want to produce a song. What's your price? Then I already know. You want to pay me and you want to own it. Right? Right. If somebody comes to me and says, yeah, I want to do a song, but I have no money, then I will automatically say, well, I'll do this for you. Sure, no problem, but I will own it because you don't have the funds right now to cater for the bills of producing a song. Now, the way it becomes a hot topic is, uh, I guess, the royalties and, and, and the, the, the just numbers or the just rights whatever you want to term it as, that these artists or producers think they are, um, they are owed or what, or what warrants them to get this percentage. So there's a, hmm. there's a huge trend in the game now where, <clears throat> so, and, and I have to go back. Back in the day, Antilles Rhythm, 3-0, Bottle of Rum, those days where streaming was not a huge thing, nobody cared about Where's the percentage oh, again yeah. on the master or what I'm making from streaming? Back then, that, was, that wasn't a topic. But now, because streaming has grown so much and people can actually live off of streaming, it started to now raise this red flag and it, 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 um, it, it on everybody's radar. So there's this trend of, yes, I might do a rhythm. I produce a song for Jell. Jell didn't pay me, but then Jell is going to say, well, Casey... I understand I didn't pay you, but you can't make 100% from the streams by yourself. Right? Right. Now, with that now, which, which I agree, yes, you, are, you, you deserve a percentage. That now brings this hot topic, which is left for interpretation from either side. Jell could say, well, to be honest, I feel that both of us went into this and my, my input in this is equal to yours. So therefore, I, I am worth 50% royalty on this master. And that's the term we use, royalty on the master. Now, for me now, I would say, well, Jell, but you didn't pay me. So how you could get 50% of something you didn't pay for? Right. <laughs> right? So you already see there's two different perspectives already. And that's why it starts to become a hot topic because it's like, <clears throat> you didn't pay me. I do this. I spend time on this. I have to know. Also, to a thing to note, which I should have said before, the person who owns the master has to cater for all the expenses. So, Jell didn't pay me, so therefore I own it. So, now when the graphics have to go out, and the mix, and the master, and the promotion, and whatever else have to go out, I have to pay for it. So, when Jell come and say 50%, I'm like, but Jell, I just pay the graphic artist, I just pay an animation man to do a lyric video, I just do all these expenses... For you to say you want 50%, that can't make sense. <laughs> right? So that is, right. Where, that is where the whole thing starts to get wild. Now, being fair, 
yes, the artist is deserve, does deserve a percentage. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't want to get a nothing. It's just we had to be we had to be fair in this and it had to make sense and it have a lot of discussions where people being unfair. Some producers cool, some producers not cool. Uh, <laughs> some artists cool about it, some artists not cool about it. And I think is, I think is is the issue and why it keeps coming up as a hot topic is because people not clearing this before. So I just doing a song for you, but I'm not asking you what you want. You're not telling me what you want. We ain't having no conversation about it. So when your song come out and it reach and it start to play on radio, then we have any conversation about, hey, I feel I should get 50%. <laughs> so let me, let's dig deeper into that, Casey. Uh-huh. Does that mean when an artist approaches you that there's not a conversation or a contract formed? To... It should be. It should be. For this, Okay. There should be a contract, and, and that's, that's the process now. It should be, hey, I want to do this song. Uh, what are your terms? And then I send you my either a little memo, a deal memo, or a full contract. Most of the times, you want to do a little deal memo with just your, just your point form or your terms. So then a person can look at it and be like, uh, I can't do this. <laughs> can you flex on XYZ, ABC? And I could say, yes, no, yeah, we could do so, so, so. All right, let me go. So now we have an understanding, but some people don't, don't do that. I mean, I'm guilty of it also, because sometimes in the heat of the moment, you're just ready to produce. Creatives don't like dealing with the business side. So it, right. it happens to all of us, but that should be the way it should go. Like, let's, let's understand what each person wants, and then we know if it's making sense. And then also, too, we could say no. <laughs> I, I don't know. Pe- people think that saying no is a fallout, and and I don't get it, especially in Trinidad. Like if I say no, I can't do that, then then it's automatically we fall out. No, you could agree to disagree. That percentage is too much right now. I don't think I could do this right now. Maybe on the next one we'll try a next one. Sure, no problem. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> Everybody good. Um, All right. So I yeah. see Freddie. Freddie agrees. That conversation needs to happen from jump. Kristen says, start from contract. Hey, look, Kyle here as well. Bad John Republic. I know, I see him. Yeah, we did Kyle, pick it up earlier, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. So plenty of people locked in. And I think you cleared, you cleared that up beautifully, you know. Um, this is a hot topic, and there's several factors that contribute to it. So I know that there's, there isn't a one-size-fit-all answer, but right. I do think there's a lot of safeguards that people can do that artists and producers can do to protect themselves from the fallout at a later time. And and also to just a note, you can do 50-50 arrangements. Some producers do it. So Jell say, hey, I don't have the full amount for this. Let's go half-half on this. Right. And then I say, well, okay, my my price is $1, pay me 50 cents, and we will go half-half on everything. We all pay the expenses equal. So therefore now when the streaming money come in, we both we both eat and everybody happy. So and it's so easy that it's so easy that was is it's simple. But you see, these conversations have to happen from the start. And to your point, you brought up you know a lot of the lack of education on the business side of the music too. Yes. Well, to to be honest, the whole streaming thing, the whole masters thing, the royalty and the masters thing was not a thing in the in the and, and I could only talk for Trinidad, it was not a thing at all. So remember this happened in a space where um we had to kind of figure it out. I remember going to my lawyer at the time years ago and be like, hey I wanna do a rhythm contract. There was no rhythm contract. There was no template to even follow. 
So we had to kind of create it. So we had to be like, well, okay, I don't know what percentage to put because based on the law that written in 19 or whichever, we can't figure out what is the just percentage. So we kind of have to give a best guess and a best case risk analysis to say, well, okay, we could probably give 10 or 20, 30, whatever it might be. So we had to kind of figure this out as we as we go along. So that's why it was a hot topic for a minute because some people still figuring it out for some Artists might say, well, I think I really should get 70% and a producer be like, nah, I should get 50%. So that, I think it, it's cool now. People understand it now and it's just having the discussion. But yeah, back, back then it was, it was a hot topic. Right. And large up, let's see who else is here. Large up Marlowe's World as well. My whole LA team. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking, at the, yes, I'm looking at the questions. So one thing you brought up was the marketing, right? Nikki G. DeVoice, she asks, any advice for upcoming artists on how they can promote their music? I know you, you mentioned that you spend a lot in terms of investing in marketing. So what mm. advice would you have? Everything now is social media and advertising. So I think that should be one of the main and biggest approaches now running ads, doing posts, creating content just for that. Um, and I'm going to give out some ideas or some some tricks that we might even do. Not supposed to, but uh, simple things like TikTok marketing now is a big thing. You, you put out a song, you contact a dancer who, I mean, you can't really go for the million followers dancers because they're going to hit you a $5,000 price. So go for somebody who in between, a little lower, and be like, hey, I just released this song. Would you want to do a dance for this? We both win. I, pro I promote it. You promote it. Great. Because um, that's where a lot of these, these songs get huge from. Like this Don't Rush Challenge. I don't even know who sing that song. I hate it on the radio. I hate it in a, a thousand challenges. I can't tell you who the artist is, but when I hear this song, I know it's a big song. Right. Um, that's how these songs get big from, from things like that. Um, so... A lot of these partnerships with personalities could, could be created to help. Um, somebody say artists should consider having a website. Yeah, I mean... I mean, if they're more established... You mightn't you might like my answer to that. Yeah, do, should, do, they, do they have yeah. to do a website? No. But do they have to have an Instagram page and Facebook? Yes. So, website would come eventually. I think to promote this song, social media, definitely. All the social media platforms, definitely. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And Lodge Up Kira as well, uh, Abdiel, the whole team. Yeah. So I saw, and I think this is a repeat question from earlier. Mm -hmm. Someone asked, does Precision Productions have a writing team? I, I call it a writing team, but it's, kind of, it's more so a writing network. We have a network of writers that we would reach out to when we have beats. And um, I can't say writing team because it's not Precision's writing team. Um, but we have a writing network that we would reach out to people and send beats. So let's say I have 12 writers. I would send a new beat to the 12. I might get back four songs because everybody wouldn't like the beats all the time. Everybody might be busy. Different things just happen. So you might get back four, six songs. And that's kind of how we deal with the writing side of things. Um, unless I'm really... I really not satisfied with any of these songs, then I would like specifically start to go to specific writers and be like, yo, 
I need a this type of song, this, 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 and start to get more hands on. But yeah, that's how we that's how we deal with the writing network, I would say. All right, so you got your answer there from Casey regarding the writing. Now, as we're on the topic of lyrical content, and I see we have five minutes left. So mm. do you have a little bit more time for Yeah, we could we could if we, we could, could restart the come back in, I could I could pull up my water and <laughs> and organize. <laughs> All right. So the question is, you know, uh, some people, they argue that the lyrical content in Soka is not relatable to a mainstream artist. For example, right. Bacchanal, Juve, some of these words that might be foreign to, mm -hmm. a, um, to an American or European, for example. What are your, your thoughts on that? <laughs> if you ask me this um, seven years ago, I would have said, yes, we need to change it. But of recently, I have had a change of heart. Not just a change of heart, but it's just being real. I think Soka has reached where it's, where it's reached to at this point, and it's continuing to grow rapidly with the lyrical content that it has. So why are we knocking it? One. Mm -hmm. Two, um... If we look at the other examples as Afrobeat, dancehall, reggae, they have gotten big with their, their slangs. I mean, come on, like Tamaya's song was Sanko. I don't know what Sanko means. <laughs> that was a huge song. Right. Um, Chronics had skanking, sweet. Bob Marley had songs with slangs in it. That's, that's slangs. That's all slangs, and it relates to their culture specifically. So this argument of the content needs to change. I start to kind of, uh, I get it and I don't get it at the same time. Yes, should we not sing songs about Carnival, Rag, Flag, Bumper, Holy, 100%? No. So I, I, I support that. But um, I, I, I think we're in a good place. We just have to be a little more smart on the writing and just make it, still make it palatable. But I think what we bring and our uniqueness and our flavor and our spices from the Caribbean is what makes it great. So why, why are we trying to now strip it of everything to become not us, if you understand? Right. Not, um, not authentic to who we are as Caribbean. Yeah, I, I've seen foreigners from all over the place singing these slangs and it sounds hilarious, but... But guess what? That is what they like. I'm sure you all saw the, the YouTube with the, the guy singing all the Shansia songs. The, <laughs> the, the, most, the most Caucasian guy from Texas singing Shansia slang word for word. And it's the funniest thing ever. But that is what they like. <laughs> that is what they like. Right. And, you know, we've even seen artists try to, to take soca, dancehall, and call it something else too. Well, yeah, that's our next. That's our next topic. That we might we, we might get into that. <laughs> that's next, a whole. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> and we're back. Very good. All right, Casey. So before we left off, you know, we were talking about the lyrical content in Suka, and a lot of the things that you noted was that, you know, there's various genres of music where you don't necessarily understand what the people are saying, like mm -hmm. with Afrobeat. Or even some of the reggaeton songs that's gone to number one on the charts. Exactly. Uh, yes, yes, Kira, you have to type in your questions again in the question box. 
But um, so that's interesting that, you know, your whole take on the lyrical content in Suka and that it shouldn't necessarily be about the, the jump and wave, but right. it should focus on other things as well. Right. So some artists, you know, they've expressed their concerns that Suka can limit creativity due to the, you know, the expectations of what people think Suka should sound like, right? What are your thoughts on this? I know you've produced many hits and you yourself have focused I, a lot on I, diversifying I agree with, content. I okay. agree with that because I've had songs already that were great and I had to not put it out because I was like, I'm not sure if this would even play. I don't know if they will take this because remember, at the end of the day, we're still doing music for a festival. So even though we, we've gotten away with songs that don't really sound like festival songs, like Alive and Well and Cheers to Life, they won't really festival songs, but some of them will slide. But it still have to be designed in a smart way to have the elements that you need. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. It does limit you sometimes, but I think, for me, I think that's with anything. Um, if you're doing a trap song, you have to make sure that it, it stays within what a trap song sounds like. If you're doing a reggae song, it has to stay within what a reggae song sounds like. So I think with, with, with any style you're trying to target, you're going to have constraints. Yes, we could do these fusions of all kind of thing, and that would be great for you, but would it actually work outside? We don't know. Right. Um, so I'm not saying that they can't do it. It's just you just have to know your... Um, you have to know your, your, your market. What's your target? What are you going for? You're trying to win Roadmatch or are you trying to be number one in streaming? It's two mm. totally different songs. <laughs> you understand? And that's fair enough. I mean, I think you hit home with that. And, you know, we talked a lot about streaming, right? Yeah. Do you think that soca music or the sound of soca per se could break it out and go quote-unquote mainstream? Uh, yeah, definitely. Why? I mean, why not? Some of these songs already sound like Suka. Biba, Sorry, Drake, One Dance. I mean, Kevin Little and Rupee did it already, and it worked. Reggaeton is a cousin of Suka. Afrobeat is a cousin of Suka. So it already sounds like it. I think what we lack is just the support, the financial support, the institutional support with labels and distribution, etc., etc., we don't have the budgets to match up to these guys. So it's hard for a soca song to be positioned next to a, a, a other song from a next genre that have thousands of dollars behind it to get billboards, ads, flyers, street team. All, like it's, it's a full machine that's been going on behind that. So I think that's really where we kind of lose out on. Not saying we can't fix it, but is not no more so it's getting a little easier because people start to move away from record labels and you can start being big on just Spotify or just iTunes or depending depending on the the, the, the network and any linkages that you make. Right. And you know, that's very interesting. I see a lot of people here joining back. Yeah. Uh, just FI, questions, we're here with questions yeah, coming in crazy. Questions but, like rain. I like that. So we're here with Casey Phillips out of Precision Productions, and you know this is our number two now. We went through the first hour with getting to know Casey, <laughs> how he started productions, all these various awards and things, as well as you know how to get started in production. So you can view that on IGTV. Um, 
It's already posted, the part one. Now, another thing that's been brought up is... Sorry. A lot of, one thing that's been brought up a lot is the whole... Um, the discoverability of soca music, right? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the streaming elements. But let me hear your thoughts on the role that some of the traditional media does play, like, for example, the radio or the DJs, just the name of you. What, my thoughts on the role that they play? Yes. <laughs> um, so, wow, it's a tricky answer, but I'm going to give you the realest answers I could give you. So, this was an experiment I did some years back when I realized streaming started to clock and streaming was going great. I was like, you know what? Let me, let me see what's going to happen with the streaming thing versus radio. Because remember the original traditional way was your rhythm have to be big on the radio for it to make sense. That mm. was, that's what it was. But then over the years, I started to realize the rhythms that weren't big on the radio was making sense on streaming. So I started to watch the numbers and be like, mm, what was the reason for this? And um, it started to prove that concept wrong. It started to be like, if I market this enough, I can make this stream and it never play on radio. <laughs> so I started to move away from the, radio, the whole radio thing of, yes, I mean, don't get me wrong, if you're rhythm playing on radio, your single playing on radio is great. That's only better. It gets big. But there's, there's a huge stream and market and audience that wants to hear something else. They don't want to hear what's playing on radio. They want, to, they want to decide what they want to hear. They want to wake up in the morning and listen to this soca song at 80 BPM that will never play on a morning show on radio because it's just too slow. So, um, yeah, so it, 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 changed, it changed a lot over the years. Streaming is now opening up the market for more songs to be discovered. But going back to the point I said before, you still have to market and push these songs. If people don't know it there, they're not going to play. Right. So I'm glad that, you know, you brought up the differentiation between looking at the streaming numbers as what you would have thought would have been popular in streaming, and it was completely different from your expectations. What project would you say kind of led to that? Uh, I mean, even recently as 10 times over, 10 times over wasn't a super huge rhythm on radio per se. I mean, it played, but 10 times over was, I think now is my number two or number three most streamed song. Pretty Bad is number one right now, still to this day, but at a point into you was number one. And I wasn't playing on radio to say it was beaten on radio like I wrote much. So that was one. I mean, it have other examples over the years. I have rhythms that never even play on, on radio, but it still makes income from streaming just because people want to hear their own thing. Like Ting and Rhythm. People message me about Ting and Rhythm oh every, every, every month I get a message about Ting and Rhythm. And that, I don't think I ever play on radio. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I started to move away from depending on the radio thing. Now, I mean, would it be a bonus? Yes, but it's not the only... It's not the end-all and be-all for music. Right. And, you know, I got to say, I, I really did love the Ting and Rhythm, too. But it didn't necessarily cross over at the, the point in time. Do you right. think, though, because I remember when it came out, and as a DJ, 
I'm always looking for, for music all hours of the day, all hours of the night. What I realized with the singing rhythm is that it kind of released very late into right. the season. Yeah. Yeah, Do you think it. timing played a role into the success Definitely. or not success? Definitely, because at a point in the season, they locked down. This is going to be the, the 30 songs we're going with. Nothing else can again unless it's a huge artist. So at a point in the season, they kind of lock that and then nothing else is really getting because this is the rotation. By the time ads and, and sponsored hours and things start to run on the radio, nothing else again in there. So that's, that's just the nature of the game. Not, I'm not knocking it. Um, but I still released it because it's like, this have, this have more elements to it than just to be uh, a carnival rhythm. Um, we had our city on it, which which is VI. So it's like this could live on. This could live on for for, for forever. So that was kind of the the thinking behind that. Right. <laughs> Look at uh, well, Lover Boy brought some some political commentary in the comments here. He says the Soka Mafia lock it down. Lord. I have not. I have nothing to say on that. Yeah. And a lot of people here are <laughs> showing their support for the singing rhythm and the ten times over rhythm. So mm. let me go through some of the questions here. Ah, I saw okay. somebody keep asking about the process. Ah, look at look at this topic. Look I at like. this question. <laughs> so I'm gonna read Dude. it out. So from the crew in Jamaica, uh, do you allow remixers to gain access to stems, and what is the process? Right. So I give I'm gonna give two answers to this. One, no, I don't anymore, and I'll say why. Um, we have gotten to a place now in the game where everybody's sharing everybody's stems, and it's, I think it started to happen. Uh, the one that bothered me the most was Remedy, Marshall Remedy, years ago. We do Remedy. Remedy mix in LA, big fancy engineer, Studio time, fly people all over to get Remedy done. Remedy released on radio, and I am hearing a version with a DJ that had a clap on top of Remedy. So I confused. We just spent months mixing this and, and weeks mastering this, spending all kind of money to make sure the master correct, raise the bass, raise the higher, too loud, bring it down. For then a DJ to now come and take a clap, put it over all that what you just do, and playing that every time he on radio. And I had a problem with that. And I'll, I'll tell you why. One, we just, we, 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 we take all our time to get this mix and master correct for a man to just drop a clap on, on top of it. I don't know what software he's using. I don't know what process he's using. I don't even know if the quality correct. I just hear there's a loud clap on top of the master that I just spend weeks losing sleep on, louder than the vocal. And I was like, that can't work. One, two, they never ask no permission. They just add this clap on it and put it on the radio and playing this now more than the actual song, the original song. So, so I had a problem with that, and rightfully so. Now, no disrespect to the DJ. I know you want to do your own custom mixes, and, and, and rightfully so, all the DJs in the chat. But for me, I have a problem that nobody do ask permission anymore. They just take in stems, Taking your intro, your outro, putting it on the top, making this 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 mix of for your song, which some are great. I don't get me wrong, some great, some awesome. I love to hear them, but I don't know what process you're using. You taking my unmastered stem to play 
on radio to go up against mastered songs. You understand? So you putting me at a disadvantage. So it's like, um, it's it's crazy. So I stopped releasing stems. Like you can't find any, you can't find any precision instrumentals or stems anywhere anymore because I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Because at a point in the studio, I had a whiteboard with 15 mastering houses because I was like, you know what? I want to sound the best. I need to sound better than everybody. I had a mastering house in Paris, LA, New York. I had the guys who master Adele and Wendy Grammy. Like, I, I tried all of them. The guys in Paris, I couldn't even talk to them. I had to wait hours for them to answer because of the time zone. So all these research I do into song better than everybody, but then men just taking their stems and doing what they want. <laughs> And I know I sound like a complaining because this is a hot topic, but I need to explain the whole thing so that everybody understands. My AirPods are dying. No, and I, and you know I think that is fair, Casey. Um, me as a DJ myself, there's there are a lot of DJs that are interested in remixing and creating intros, and I see a lot of DJs here in the chat too saying that you know their main argument is that they would rather prefer playing their own version over the original song based on sometimes how certain songs are built. Because, you know, one song may have like an intro that's so unorthodox that it starts off with an acapella and doesn't have an eight bar. Mm -hmm. and all, all, all these excuses I've heard. Um, I've heard excuses. excuses. <laughs> but that's the argument that I've seen so far. And a few people in the chat kind of are seeing that as well. So, so, so you see, this, what's your this, take? This is where it get weird to me because if you have a great song, you have a great song. If you like my song already, as is, why do you need to edit my song? Now, I understand some guys want to do little extra edits and stuff. Cool. For the, the DJ mix and the whatever. But why are you editing my song if you like it already? And, and so, so it's, it's weird. And that's one. And then two, you can't tell me you can't tell me that the intro not mixable. You need to go to school and learn how to mix and DJ mix like that. That's that's an excuse. <laughs> no, I gonna get back. I gonna I gonna get to the next side of the answer because I don't want to just sound like a complainant, right? Right. What I started to do now is now I started to do the remix project, where I was like, you know what, guys, everybody, everybody doing these remixes unofficially let me do some official remixes and for a number of purposes one i started to credit the, the, the people who remix in the song right and do the collaborations with the with the producers and also give them a percentage i give them a master royalty because we already have our song you come and you do your percent i think your remix i could give you a 10 15 20 percent on this remix not on the original on the remix and we created the remix project so the last one we did with music 10 D remixes, we had like a Live and Well remix, Cohen Right for Somebody remix, and I and I did it as a collaboration project with all the different producers. Um, it didn't make sense with some of the DJs because some of the DJs they don't really change that much to make it a remix per se. You understand? The idea with the remix project was to completely flip the genre. So the Alive and Well remix is straight trap, featuring a, 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 a local rapper um brave boy so it changed it into a full trap song and that was my kind of way of saying you know what this is how we should actually do it let us do these remixes officially you eat i eat the songs work somewhere else we might get in a movie now because it's a trap we might get in a in a game or a commercial because it's a r&d remix however you want to 
classes. Um, that was what that's what we ended up doing with these songs. And and, and then also the, the ultimate goal was now stretching the lives of these songs to now live on for different purposes. So nobody can play our live one well anymore for Carnival because you know there's press the reset button and the right. next set of songs coming. But now I have a trap version of our live one where I could start to pitch to music supervisors to put in a movie, make it a team song for something. Whatever it might be, now we have we have different applications we could put these songs into now. And that, and you see that's a, a very good approach. Um I see Casey is here for for the DJs. Uh Kira in the chat saying leave my music as the way I intended it. <laughs> a lot of people here saying clap intros are dead, DJ Loverboy, lodge up yourself. So on the on one more final note on the DJs, uh-huh. I've noticed in your, your strategies over the years that prior to the start of the Trinidad and Tobago Carnival season, usually around October, Miami Carnival, you give a lot of the DJs previews into music that might be coming up. Could you tell us, you know, the thought process behind doing that? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the marketing things that I did way back in Antilles days. Uh, because at that time, and shout out to Ryan, at that time, DJ Private Ryan mixes, I was flying and hearing his mixes everywhere. And we realized that the foreigners started to listen to his mixes, and, and I mean other DJs as well, but they started to listen to mixes because everybody working and busy, but when it's time to fly to Carnival, we need a mix. <laughs> Who mix up all these songs? And we go download Ryan because that was that he was the, 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 the top at that point. Um, and everybody would download his mix and listen to this every day. Drive to work, flying to Trinidad, do it in a gym, we listening to Ryan Mix. And that was kind of one of the marketing strategies I did for Anthony's Rhythm, where we put a little preview and kind of test it out. And people started to get hyped so that now they kind of know these songs. So when it dropped, like, finally, you get it big from even before. And that was, that was kind of the thinking of that. So... To go back to your point, I know I was knocking DJs about the 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 the, the, the stems and the instrumental and editing the songs, but I mean, it also have benefits on collaborations that we could make. Similar to the TikTok thing I said with the Instagram dancers, like that. This was something similar to that. Create your own like smart marketing tactics to to get your songs out, and that worked. That worked for years. I still do it every now and again, but now everybody rushing under it, so it's kind of like yeah. Yeah, I'll find something else too. So, but that, that was the thinking behind that. Good. So for the DJs locked in, Casey not knocking everybody. Just <laughs> there's a there's a simple balance and there's a simple science to why he does what he does. So, um, one question I'm seeing that repeating a lot here is how could someone you know work with Precision Productions? What's the process behind that? Uh, simple. Just reach out to us, send a message, send an email, and we'll have we'll start the conversation. Um, yeah, we we'll, either we send the price list, we we understand what you're trying to do, and we take it from there. Okay, and that's from a artist perspective, a writer's perspective, or both. All, 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 all of the above. Uh, even on the even on the remix project, we we looking for producers who are willing to do some of these remixes for the remix project. Because uh, I can't do all. The purpose of it is to collaborate with other producers to to get a different sound and a different vibe on these songs. Um, yeah. Gotcha. 
there's a question that a guy kept asking about the mixing. Do we mix in the box? I, I can't remember who it was. Um, so to answer that, I uh, right now I mix in the box, but in the studio in Trinidad, it's hybrid. We still do analog. So men, I will still go out to analog gear for specific things. So it's kind of like a hybrid setup. Yeah, yeah. We, we all mix and master in the box. So it's, it's a hybrid setup. Most of the masters are in the box unless I send it to a foreign master in house to do it. Um, but most of the time it's in the box. Sometimes it's on my laptop right there on headphones. These these are the headphones I use right here. <laughs> this and then this one that beat up here. This will blow your mind. This one that beat up here like sometimes far from finish on you see kind of top far from finish physique rhythm fast wine all of them come back come down from there it was laptop and headphones because back then i was traveling a lot so i was um i was mixing on the fly i was in the mini studio um i think fast wine mix in dubai or some kind of thing so yeah all right so you know shifting gears just a little bit i know that You've also been really busy outside of producing music. You've been doing your role as a producer and technically as an entrepreneur to educate the people on them. And one of the things that came out of that was Audio Essentials. Yes. So tell us about that. Audio Essentials came about uh, a number of reasons. <laughs> I started doing these Precision Tip Wednesdays just i think one day I've, i discovered some some craziness i discovered on web whatsapp and i was like oh we could get emojis on the laptop what so that blew my mind so i do a story showing how to do it and then i started to do little tips and tricks in mixing or producing or, or, or whatever it might be and that kind of just spiraled uh, everybody started asking questions and um we got the opportunity myself and Kat, we got the opportunity to go to st lucia to teach a workshop and shout out to Matthias who he had the audio essentials workshop in Sinusha. He actually coined the name. He was like, yo, I have nothing here. I want to teach these guys. Um, I can't pay you, but come down and teach now. I was like, uh, me teach? Because back then I, I, I don't talk. I was quiet. Me teaching in front of class was like, what? So I said, well, all right, let me think about this. And I said, yeah, what Matthias, I'll come. But you have to allow me. You have to fly cat with me so that we could blow the hell out of it with social media. Let us market the hell out of it and make it into something so I still get value from it even though you're not paying me. Right. And that's how that happened. And from the time we did that first one and, and put it up, it was a wrap. All the different countries and territories started to ask, can you bring it here? Grenada, St. Martin, um, where we did St. Lucia, Antigua, all these different islands started to ask when it's coming and it was it was a great alternative for somebody who's trying to get into the game and don't want to go to school for eight nine months to learn a music degree this was now packaging everything for you to kind of to start so that's 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 how that came about now we just did the last audio essentials in october and we recorded it and we have it live on the website now so anybody who's interested in learning music or learning even marketing or the business side of things we have it online 
um, as, a, as a course that you can buy. Do you plan on coming to New York? Um, right now, hell no. <laughs> no. Nobody could go anywhere with these things. So that's why we kind of have the, that's why we have the live class. It's basically the same thing as a recording of what happened in, in the workshop. And this one, this one was the best. It was the greatest workshop because we had Theron from our city, Kat, um, who, who, project, who does the project management and social media. She did a, a social media segment. Danny Washington did a, a segment. Patrice Million did a segment as well on music business. So we had a lot of, a lot of content that we crammed into five days. So it was great. Okay, so in other words, what you're saying is you could look at the course online and that's kind of how you would learn for now. Do you have any plans of expanding it into yeah, I, the US, I, well, Europe? I'm, I'm in the process of building the studio and one of the goals is to do a full-on Audio Essentials class that breaks down everything and, and, and goes into the whole, the workings of everything. Um, but that's one of the long-term goals which would take a lot of production and stuff to get done. But that, that is the goal because I really want to go into like the nitty-gritties of this is how we do this and this is how we do that and even start some of these subscription models of every Friday I build a beat. If you're interested in seeing me come and build a beat every Friday, come and tune into this class um, because people learn, some, some guys prefer to learn from watching than mm -hmm. going and do a class. So that's kind of some of the ideas that we're playing with right now. All right, so I see here we have a question from Kira. She's asking, if you have a rhythm and there are four songs, different compositions with the same sample, this question is long, on the same sample, how is this set up for distribution? If you have a rhythm and there are four songs, different compositions with the same sample, how is it, was, it, was the ending of the question, how is this set up? How is this set up for distribution? And as singles using the same sample? I don't think Kira yeah, finished the question. The, this, this, well, actually, I think I know what she's asking. So, okay. Skinner Park Rhythm. Skinner Park Rhythm was a sample that we sampled from Ed Watson Controversy. Shout out to Ed Watson, classic composer and arranger producer back in the day. Ed Watson is also the sample that they use for Trini, Benjai Trini. Right. So we did the rhythm and we had to clear the sample from Ed. But how that worked, because it's not one song, is I think Skinner Park is three songs. Three. Nadia, yeah. Marshall, right. and Famanapi. So he would have had, he would have now be getting a royalty from the whole rhythm. Three songs. We still put it up as a rhythm, but he but based on our arrangement and contract, he's getting royalties from the entire rhythm. Um, so Kira, no, it's not distributed as singles. It's still a rhythm. But in my case, it was a rhythm. Um, I think your question was about a rhythm too. So yeah, it's, it's still a rhythm. I don't know if I'm answering. I don't know if I understand your question clearly. Gotcha. Okay, so lots of everyone in the chat. Again, DJ Loverboy, Darian, uh, Kira, hopefully we answered your question correctly. Lots of Kara as well, and Brooklyn Cycle. So... I've seen this question a lot too. I know in the beginning you touched on a lot of the genres that you do, such as soca, dancehall, gospel. Someone in the chat from the VI is asking, 
have you ever worked with a Latin or a Spanglish artist? Yeah, I, I, I've been seeing that question. Um, did I? I feel like I did. I haven't done a lot, but I feel like I did. Something recently had a Spanish person on it. Oh, I did some stuff with Our City with some Spanish guys on it. Um, in the soca side, I don't think I did a lot. If I can't, I probably can't remember right now. But I'm I'm willing. I'm I'm open to to, to doing that. The Latin the Latin market is huge right now, so that'd be great. Definitely, and considering all the um the immigration that's been going on in Trinidad and Tobago as well. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, as we are on the, the subject of the genres that you do, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the industry, particularly on the chutney and the chutney soca side, that that particular subgenre of music has been, you know, losing popularity. What are your views on the current state of, you know, the, this type of music right now? Say that one more, start with one more time. Sure. So, you know, in the, the whole subcategories of soca, right, there's power soca, groovy soca, there's also chutney soca. And a lot of people have argued that, you know, the music is on a decline or kind of losing popularity. Mm -hmm. uh, I see a lot of people here saying chutney is their favorite. What are your views on the, the current state of chutney music right now? I, chutney, I, chutney soca. I think chutney have their market and their place. That's... that's... That's been solid from from ever since. They have their own they have their own market, their own place, their own everything. Um Yeah, I I, I master a few Chutney Soka songs for people already and, and, and they're doing great. They have their own circuit as well. They gig in specific places different to the to the regular soca game. Um, and then they have their Chutney Soka Monarch as well. So I think they they, they set because some of these guys and bands they tour all over. Delina Dan, Ricky Jai, even Carmen, Ravi B, they flying all the time. So <laughs> they're going good. Vibes. Mm. So I see somebody here says that they want to hear a Chutney Soka from Precision. So is it that you've only mastered or have you produced as well? I think I won Chutney Monarch years ago with a Rupal G song. This is years ago. Eh? So I've done it already. I haven't done a lot, but I, I did it already. I can't remember the name of the song right now. Um, right. But yeah, I think he ended up winning with one of the songs. Um, I always, every year I say I need to do a Chutney, I need to do a Chutney. <laughs> and then it doesn't I just, happen. Never, I just never get around to it. <laughs> All right, so I think after this interview, we'll hold Casey to see if he <laughs> decides to do a Chutney Soka next year, Kira. Um, so, again, on the note of, you know, the industry and Soka, a lot of people also argue that, you know, Soka music doesn't belong to Trinidad and Tobago alone, but it's also produced by the other islands. Right. And I know you yourself have contributed to all the different carnivals like St. Lucia, Barbados, what are your thoughts on like the alternative sounds and styles of soca that exist in the other islands? Mm, I I love them actually. Um, Pretty Abad was slight Denry uh, from all the years of going to Selnusha. That was that was on purpose. Uh, and again, back going back to what what I said earlier about analyzing the market. That was the sound that was popular in Trinidad, and that was getting big. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me try my hand in that. 
Um, but yeah, I, I love all the different variations. Now, you know, everybody will want to get caught up on which come first and Trinidad would want to say Soka was invented in Trinidad and blah, 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 blah. I ain't getting into all of that. But I love the different vari variations because we have Zouk in some of the French Caribbean territories. Barbados have their Bashman Soka, which which popular. So Lucia have Denry. And then they own, still their own style of music. Then even up the island, St. Martin have rhythm band. And they have a whole other style of Soka and Power Soka, which don't even touch Trinidad. Um, and I like it. I love it. I, I, I work with Delhi a lot. And Delhi just keeps sending me these songs. I meet some of the guys who do it. And it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, I like it. But um, can I produce it? No. It's, it's, it's very specific. And that's just, it's just a cultural thing that they grew up in. And they just know how to produce this. But I like it. I will collaborate with them in a heartbeat. All right, so for all the producers that's not necessarily from Trinidad and Tobago, Casey said it here first. He is open to collaborating with other producers in the region and across mm -hmm. that does the different types of soca. So on that note, do you feel that there's enough collaboration with the soca artists within the region? No. <laughs> no. What do you, okay, so... The reason why I ask that is because, you know, a lot of your rhythms and a lot of projects that you've worked on, you've worked with Teddy St. John out of St. Lucia. You've worked with um, Teddy Rhymes as well. Right. How do you think we can bridge that, that gap that exists in the industry right now? What, uh, and define gap. When you say gap, what do you mean? So you just answered. You said no to, I guess, the collaborations between the artists in the different um, right. regions. Like, there's clearly a gap there that, yes, Trinidad creates soca, Grenada creates soca, St. Lucia, Barbados, all that we just list, but we don't always collab, although we do the same genre of music. Right. What do you think could be done about that, if you have an opinion on it, of course? Well, remember, Tedison was on Thing and Rhythm. <laughs> if you go back... Tian Winter was on Red Bull Rhythm and shout out, I know I didn't mention some of the countries, shout out to the Grenada music as well. I practically lived in Grenada for a while, so we win road match there mm -hmm. as well. So I, I love Grenada music and the job and stuff. Um, Antigua and St. Lucia as well. Did a lot of work there. Um, so that's something that we've been doing. Like we've been doing that for a while. And I have tried to bridge the gap in different ways, even going there and doing a rhythm or putting them on my rhythm so now. But it goes back to the same thing with the cast and the rhythms and the DJs. Not every time I could put some of these unknown guys, unknown to Trinidad, on a right. Um But I try. I try. Tedison was on, on Tingin and, and that was great. Um, so yeah, uh, bridging the gap. I mean, I think, I think it's been getting a lot bigger. Moto is now in Trinidad. Tian had some hits in Trinidad at a point. Tedison is yes. practically every carnival Tedison in Trinidad. And Ricardo, I mean, Ricardo, both Antigua, Trini, but he bridging the gap because he will go and win there and, come, and still come Trinidad and, and, and be popping for the whole season. So I think it's getting better. Do they allow a lot of artists? No. It's a, it's a very select hand, handful, but it's getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> And I see a lot of people here moving for the, um, someone's asked if we're going to get a Kess and Marshall collab. 
That is out of my control. I cannot answer that. <laughs> <laughs> we could dream on soccer fans. We'll we'll dream on regarding that one. But um, just to wrap up, I'm curious to know what, how, where do you see soccer music in the next five years? Uh, in the current state that it's in. I believe soccer is growing exponentially. It's continuing to grow. I see it from not only the streaming numbers, but from some of the destinations that some of these artists go in, some of the parties, the fets. It, it's growing. Even, even if you start to get technical on what some of the placements on like these playlists, I've gotten songs in Afro playlists on Spotify. I've gotten songs on major mainstream playlists that have a bunch of Drake and hip-hop stuff on it. So I think we're getting there and we're starting to get the recognition. We st- even we started to get placements in um, Grey's Anatomy and, and TV shows on Netflix and stuff like that. So we're slowly getting there. So in five years, it, in five years, we'll be in a great place. We, it, it's getting huge. It's only a matter of time before I think we actually penetrate the market, but it's not one of those things where we could just sit and wait on. We kind of have to right. actively push at it. So I think Audio Mac and shout out to Audio Mac for this. They actually made Soka and also Trini Bad as subcategories and subgenres on their platform. They are the first store to do that, which is great because that now it shows that there's a need for it and the other stores can start following suit. So these are some of the things that we have to keep pushing and advocating for to have Soka as a genre. Um, yeah, we can't just sit and just expect it to get big. We have to push to make these things happen. Uh, I've been trying to encourage all my peers to join the Grammy Academy, to be members of the Recording Academy so that they can vote, but not only vote, but they can also submit their albums in. Because we can't go and make an argument to say, look, I need a Grammy category when there's only two albums in there. Because I think three or four years ago, I submitted and it was only me and Sparrow who was in reggae as Soka albums. So I understand that some of the artists would have been doing it all the time and you could get discouraged after a while and be like, well, why are you doing this for? I'm doing up more for this. But we can't make the argument if we only have two people doing it. It has to have albums and content in there for us to go and say, hey, we need a category. Even if you give us a single category, we'll take it because we could start there. Because, you know, um, Grammy is more album album based. How to join? Just go on Grammy.com, Grammy365.com and join the Recording Academy. The thing is, a lot of people get deterred because there's a membership fee of 200 US or something for the year. But the benefits to it is, is so much more. I mean, just, just for voting on the Grammys and going through the ballot process and getting this booklet. But I think it's online now where you go in and you vote and you select which albums you think should go in album of the year or recording of the year or R&B song of the year. It's a great feeling. You, you are part of the change to help that happen. So, um, yeah, just, just go on and um, sign up. So I think, yeah, in five years, we'll be in a great place. We're we getting there. Just little things that we have to keep fighting and pushing, pushing the wall and breaking up the walls and, and, and just digging away at the layers to get through different barriers. Somebody asked me about playlists. I don't have a list of playlists, to be honest. You know, it's just one of those. Uh, 
I think they asked who are the playlist curators that you're looking at right now. But that's what I'm saying. In- I, I don't really, I don't know the people. I know there's, there's the big playlist and you could just go on Spotify. Um, hmm. Well, Rap Caviar might be too big, but Rap Caviar, there's African Heat, there's Dance All Official on Spotify. All the big genre playlists is what I, I tend to generally go for. Uh, Pandora has a lot of huge playlists. We have a Soka playlist on Pandora. We have massive Soka hits on Spotify as well. Um, it's not as big as the the, the other um, playlists, but but um, we still have our official Soka playlist. I mean, Kira, you asked me, so I gave you the answer. <laughs> but to that point, Kira, I think you could actually look for a couple of them on Apple Music Apple as Music well. have, have playlists. Uh, Fox Fuse has some specially curated playlists on Apple Music. Also, Larger dot com has curated playlists on apple music i haven't um i dig up since to see what new playlists come up on apple music yet but um yeah so this next um question mm-hmm. is i guess a little bit more on the personal side so right. outside of you know running a business doing the audio essentials class educating so much people in the industry what do you do on your time off if there is a time off. Play Xbox. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I am a gamer when I get time. Um, yeah, so if you hear me screaming in my apartment, it's because we are playing Call of Duty and screaming on the place. But um, that's just what I like to do to get off my ears and kind of go on your eyes, scare away from the music and play game. Uh, in LA, I like to go and do like little hikes uh, around the city, uh, movies whenever they start back allowing that <laughs> um i i, I love movies because it, it also just the experience of it is inspiring especially from music on a music perspective i'm a huge foodie i will i know all the restaurants in la where to get good food that is my thing um right now it's a lot of nerd research going into the studio so I am on YouTube every night falling asleep looking at equipment and acoustics and this and that and lights and LED lights that dance to the music. It's uh, <laughs> a whole science. So that's what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah, that's some of the things I do on my off time. Nice. So when I come to LA to Lime, I'm be sure to link you and we'll try some, some dope I have, I, have all, I, have a, I have a list that I give people and a rundown of when to go for the foods and for the different dishes. So yeah, that, that lot. Casey, you have a rundown earlier. If you love your belly, make sure you go and check out Casey for food in LA. So Casey, we want to thank you for your time tonight on the Let's Talk Soka, the ha- close to two a- hours. Do we have any other questions? I don't want to miss anybody questions. Let me check in the box. There is, there's a few repeats from in the first hour, but there is one concerning copyright. Mm. So someone asks, what are the IP and copyright implications of dubs? If dubs are just for your personal library for playing, then there's no, there's no complications. If you sell that song, then you're in trouble. <laughs> so if you just do not dub it for you to play somewhere, you're good. It's when you start selling is when, is when you, could, um, you get in trouble. And then someone else asks, what's the highest amount of rhythms that you've released for a single season? I think there was a year I may have released five or six. Um, and then I, 
immediately stop doing that because it probably will only get through like two or three, if so much. So I was like, yeah, I ain't doing that again. But I think it was five or six. I think, excuse me. Questions on them coming through. And then I see here, we noticed that you worked with Charlie Blacks on the Osaka rhythm. Is there any future work with new Jamaican artists? Definitely. It's something I try to do all the time. Um, I mean, the dancehall and reggae has made up, uh, has a bigger footprint and made a bigger impact than soca. So I try to collab and broaden the market. And back to the playlist and stuff, where, and I know this getting a little nerdy, where, let's just say the Osaka rhythm, where Alive and Well or Right for Somebody may not have gotten into one of the playlist on Spotify, the Charlie Black will get into the dance or official playlist. So ah, all these things all these things are strategic moves to kind of bring it's all about discovery. Uh, and this is how these platforms work is is all discovery. So when somebody is playing dance or official on Spotify and all the stores, because this is how the algorithm works, they play dance or official on Spotify, they hear Charlie Black song on Osaka and they might put a thumbs up on it. Or they might play it again. I like this song. What's going to happen is the next day, this algorithm is going to say, okay, well, you like that. So therefore, let's look for stuff in that vein. Now, Charlie Black is on Osaka. So automatically, Osaka rhythm becomes in that network. And then once you start listening to Osaka, you start to go down the whole next Soka network. So now you, 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 you touch Precision Productions as the artist. You're going to go down that rabbit hole of all those songs. So that's how the discovery algorithms work on these platforms so i try to do as many collaborations as possible so when we did like samantha j krisha turner even our city is all broadening the reach of of where these songs can go because now i get their fans they get my fans and we all we all benefit you understand so right. that's kind of yeah that's kind of the um the thinking behind it Promoting more discoverability. So yeah. I see someone here asking, what are some of your favorite um, tracks that you've produced? That I've produced? Right now, my favorite is the Pretty, Your Bad, that just have a special place because it was an experiment and I was like, I know this while, this is a little out of my element, but I'm going to try this. Let me try this. And it worked. So um, that's my favorite right now. Fast Wine was great. Ministry of Road was was yeah. Ministry of Road was amazing as well. But waiting on the stage has a, a, a amazing story behind it. Shout out to Kyle. I know Kyle was in the, Kyle was in the chat. But minute um waiting on the stage took two years to actually come around, and that was that was one of those things where um they had a demo from which was a full EDM song actually. And we had to find a way to make it work for Road March. So we had to kind of put back the soca into it. And it was a super experiment, but it worked. So that have a special place. I mean, Antilles will forever have a special place. <laughs> because even when I released Antilles, I got a lot of negative feedback on Antilles about, oh, it's too boring. It's not changing. It's too no dynamics. I was like, I mean, well, I try nothing. This is why it will work. So, so... <laughs> Um, they have a special place. I mean, bottle of rum is bottle of rum. Can't get away from that. Um, even on the gospel side, I won some awards for some songs on the gospel side, like Blessing After Blessing, which is positive. 
all the Nathaniel stuff was experiments that were awesome. But a few of them. I have a few favorites. It's hard to really pin down one. For sure. And I mean, you have tons of music that I think has touched people in so many different ways through Carnival, through Fats, through listening to Suka at home. Right. So I think that's really cool. Oh, I see a question. Also, we had one thing, right? Now, the favorites is Soka Kids. And, I do, and we didn't talk about Soka Kids. Ah. Soka Kids is a project where myself and Kit from Advocate, we took songs that we already owned and that we already had and cleaned it up lyrically and made kiddie versions of these songs because we kind of recognize that there's no kid content in the Soka right now. And it was fun. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun because it wasn't hard to clean the lyrics up. We just took out some of the smut. And then we got these kids who were professionally trained to come and sing these songs. And they were amazing. They, they knocked it out of the park. And that vision came to life just from us. It was, it was, it was kicks at first. It was like, boy, let me try this. It's funny. But then when we, we, we collaborated with Steven Taylor, on the video and Steven brought the visual side to life. Then we collaborated with Kurt from EXO Dance Dance Crew. They brought the choreography and the dance part of it to life. And it just, we put out this casting call for kids and, it, and the response was amazing. We actually had to turn down some kids. That's like how much kids we had there. But it was great. And, and every day we get messages from parents saying, hey, we love this. Thank you. Finally, we have something. My daughter keep asking me to play this over and over and over, <laughs> over where I could find it online. Like it's been crazy. So it's it's a project that we want to keep pushing and keep doing and hopefully it keep expanding. And yeah, that's that's one of that's that's one of my favorites right now. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree that that's a dope project. Uh Lajap Suka mom who was tuning in earlier. She hmm. always telling me that it's hard to find, you know, relatable content that's safe to play around her children. Of course. Yeah. Because yeah. you see kids learning these these songs and they singing it word for word and it's like it cringe in your inside <laughs> to hear these kids singing the split in the middle and thing is like oh my god and drinking so, ten bottle of rum all kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so it's awesome that they actually have content that we could push in those in those spaces. Um, yeah. Right. So I know we touched on this a little bit earlier and you gave an answer regarding, you know, the whole DJ and radio thing in regards to discovery. But the team at Live Love Soka, they're asking, do you think that DJs can reduce the number of streams for an artist as some people may not feel the need to stream the songs when they heard it multiple times on a mix? And actually, when you answer that, I have an answer for myself too. You answer, really please. Let me, let me think about it. <laughs> All right. So I'll tell you from my perspective, because I put mixes up on YouTube. There's a lot of content that's actually monetized on that platform. So the money doesn't go to me as the creator of the mix, but it actually goes to either the record labels or whoever owns the, um, is your term, the masters for the songs to get the royalties. Right. I, I don't want to say, is going back to what I said about discovery and the algorithms on these um, platforms, I see a mix as that same thing. I think it's all discovery. When a DJ puts the song in his mix, people are going to hear it, and they're going to hear it in a different light, because all these effects, they might speed it up a little bit, they'll place it in a certain way to keep it hype. 
um, they, they play it in a different light. So whereas I might listen to the song by itself on YouTube and it's cool, when I now hear the song and you coming down in a jam session and you drop the song in a strategic way, it opens up a whole different light. I'm going to be like, what song is that? Shazam. What song is this? So I think it's, I think it's a discovery tool as well. I don't, think, I don't think it will reduce the streams. I think it could only benefit the streams. Um, that's, that's, that's my opinion on that. Nice and dope. Um, definitely. Definitely a great discovery tool. So, Casey, we want to thank you for your time and joining us in this close to two-hour discussion of Let's Talk Soccer. <laughs> I, told, I told Solomon that I was like, this is the half now, eh? but all right. <laughs> now, I knew that. We talk offline all the time. I know we could go down the rabbit hole for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to thank all who tune in, all who ask questions, all who was with us yeah, for the past two hours just everyone. learning. This, this one was, was very interactive. A lot of questions flying. I mean, anybody could DM Follow me, Precision Prod, DM any questions, anything you want to know, I'll answer once the time permits. Uh, make sure and follow the pages, Precision Prod, on Instagram, on Facebook. Follow Gel. Well, everybody following Live Love Soka. They have all the followers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, make sure you go and follow Precision Production. Product, sorry, Precision Prod. prod yeah, Precision because there's product. no Productions. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, share it up. If you missed any parts of this interview or the first part, be sure to look at it on IGTV. We have it posted so you can learn all the gems that Casey dropped in this interview. Yeah, and, and I just want to plug Audit Essentials again. Make sure those who are interested in learning, go and look for Audit Essentials Workshop on the website. If you're interested uh, in learning production. And just from, drop the just drop the website as well, please. PrecisionGlobalMusic.com. Just check uh, the bio on um, Precision Prod. Everything is there. The guy asks about merch. The merch is on the website as well. And please check out Soka Kids, Senator. All the children, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's spread the Soka Kids project as far as we could. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks to you all for having me. You this song. <laughs> Yes, yeah, sir. Um, <laughs> let me let me get on that so, topic. Uh, actually, but those were the days we were still releasing instrumentals because I have an instrumental for Fast Wine and I have an instrumental for not the Antilles because you did a cover with uh, the alternative quartet. But I didn't release them instrumentals. But uh -oh. I think I think that was Marshall team released that. So your gas small pass. All I know is it was in, if it's in my email, <laughs> I either got it from Julian or Lee Designs or Marshall Steam. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Yeah, Casey. <laughs> Don't <you laughs> All right. Until next time, all your thanks for tuning in. Wear all your masks. Stay safe. Yeah, stay safe, everybody. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Let's Talk Soka. Peace. Bless up.